Hello, and welcome to Unabridged, the weekly podcast where teachers take on books. This is Sarah. Join us for bookish episodes and a monthly book club pick. This is Ashley. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod, or go to our website, unabridgedpod.com, where the books we read are linked for purchase. This is Jen. Check out our Teachers Pay Teachers store, our Patreon page, and our newsletter. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts to support us. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hello, everyone. We are here today with our book club episode. Today, we're going to be discussing Hazel Gaynor and Heather Mariah Webb's Last Christmas in Paris. This is our December book club pick. And if you've been following along these last few weeks, you know that This is my jam, (laughs) and I'm very excited to discuss this book with Ashley and Jen. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that we are in the midst of our giveaways, our 10 10, uh, days of giveaways. We have coming over, we have tomorrow starting a giveaway from Three Friends Construction. And over the weekend, we will be having an awesome bookish bundle from Lindsay Draws. We're so excited for you to see that one we think you're gonna really like it um and then to to top everything off at the end of our 10 days of giveaways we will be having a huge auction package that will benefit dress ember if you listen to our recent episode with ruth ann devney she spoke with us about dress ember and the importance of human trafficking advocacy and we decided to put this bundle together we are happy to give away some items and then have some other businesses contributing. Um, New Creation of Virginia contributed an accessories bundle, which is awesome. We have a book sleeve from A Hum for Hope, a coaster set from the Mountain Thread Company. So there's so many things in there and we will be having an auction that you can bid on this basket and hopefully help support Dress Ember. And 100% of the proceeds will go directly to the Dress Ember fundraising. So now we're going to have the summary of Last Christmas in Paris, and as I struggle with reading a summary, I'm going to pass it off to my good friend Jen to read the summary for me. Because she doesn't reader things that you all may not know about us as podcasters. We spend a lot of time reading aloud in the English classroom, and Sarah and I have discovered that that is not our favorite thing. So we often defer to Jen to read our selections. I know, do not mind. It is for a seamless summary. No, that's a lot of pressure. Here we go. (laughs) Last Christmas in Paris is an epistolary novel documenting the correspondence between several friends and acquaintances during the Great War. The book follows the love story of the central protagonists, Evie and Tom, as they navigate the dire circumstances surrounding wartime and the roles they must take in, take in it, sorry, and the roles they must take in it both individually and together. As Christmases come and go and the war rages on, these correspondences become a lifeline for the people involved. Now that's just showing off. <laughs> it was not seamless. <laughs> but was we did put a lot of pressure on it. <laughs> seamless part. So before we dig into the novel, let's start off just talking about what did you all think of it? So this is Jen. I enjoyed it. And I have to say I went in pretty skeptical. I started at the beginning and... I wasn't sure, but I, it's fine. We're just having a little water drinking going on in the background here. (laughs) So I, I really liked it. I was 
I, I like epistolary novels, so I was inclined to like that part. I am really intrigued by co-authors. I think that that is very appealing, and I think that's fascinating. And so those two things, while they don't make a book for me, I went in inclined to be on its side. The skeptical part was the cover looks pretty sentimental, and I have some... It's World War II fatigue, but sometimes I get reached of World War One. I. I just have war fatigue in reading about books. And I, I don't read a lot of holiday books, so I wasn't sure. But I really liked it. I liked the development of the characters through the letters. I thought, and I know we're going to get into these issues, so I won't jump on these topics ahead of time. But I really thought it dealt with some issues that I care a lot about in a very sensitive way and in ways that I don't often see, see them treated in World War One books. So, yeah. I liked it. And I also thought, so one of my favorite things was I pretty much knew from the beginning what was going to happen with the central relationship. And yet I still felt a great deal of suspense in the way it developed. And I was intrigued throughout by how the authors managed to build suspense, even though I knew what was going to happen. So, so yeah, I liked it. How about you, Ashley? Um, so I, this kind of thing, this kind of thing is not usually my cup of tea, so to speak. Uh, and I think both it, I don't, I don't usually read holiday books. I, though I have found, I've talked on the podcast before about mood reading. I have found that I enjoy that a lot more than I knew that I did. It's something that I have learned through the podcast. So I think seasonal reads are more appealing to me than they have been in the past. But in general, I don't typically do that. Everybody knows that who listens that I am not big on romance books. And I also am very, I have trepidation about war books. Um, some mm-hmm. of what Jen was saying, I think that I've read a lot of them and I haven't read nearly as much World War One as some of the other wars, but I think that it's hard to, especially when, in this kind of situation where it's the background of the story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that doesn't work very well for me. And I also don't particularly like epistolary novels. So <laughs> I will say that when I started, I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> and as I turned a few pages, I continued to think, uh-oh. <laughs> um, but I a couple of things about it. So I, it's for sure not my number one thing that I would gravitate toward reading. But I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of the things that came about in the story as far as depth of character, like Jen said, I mean, I loved some of the issues of the feminine, like mm-hmm. I love the whole feminist message. What's the role of women in war? How do we have our voices? I loved the things about the censorship and mm-hmm. the telling the truth and the need to tell the truth and how so many governments cover up the truth. And I appreciated that part being focused on England. And mm-hmm. so I think, cause I think that sometimes we live in America and I think that sometimes we feel that censorship is this phenomenon that happens outside of our own place. But of course, in these kinds of situations, it's historically true that governments tend to censor what is happening for a lot of reasons. And so I really appreciated that. And I also really appreciated Tom's struggle with his mental health mm-hmm. and how that was all laid out because of course war traumatizes people. And I appreciated that that was all laid out and talked about openly and, and that it was talked about with historical accuracy as far as mm-hmm. what kinds of treatments pe- soldiers were and were not able to have at that point in time and kind of what the attitudes were about it. I, I liked all of that. So and another thing that changed for me is when I first started reading, I was reading the book and then I switched to the audio um, because of some of the struggles I've already mentioned and also for the sake of time. 
And I loved the audio narration. There are multiple narrators. The voice is great. It really brought to life the different voices within the book. And I loved how all the different letters then had these personalities that came with the narrators who were reading the letters. And so I really enjoyed that experience a lot. So I did go back and forth between reading and listening. But for sure, this is an occasion where listening to the audiobook really brought to life more depth in the story than what I had seen on the page. So I enjoyed that. What did you think, Sarah? Um, I agree with all of what you said. And I also listened to it. And I thought that the production quality was just Mm -hmm. so so good and I was just captured at the very beginning and just really loved it and I I mean I always read holiday books Mm -hmm. and I I really loved this one I thought it was great I thought it had a lot more depth than some other holiday books Mm -hmm. because often I feel like holiday reading is low stakes reading which is some usually what I need during the holidays Mm -hmm. I just want to go through something that's going to make me feel happy and cozy and Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of low stakes but I mean this one I wouldn't call this one low stakes I would I would say there is some comfort in knowing at the beginning like Jen said what probably the trajectory of the story between Mm -hmm. the two central characters was going to be but I also felt that there were all these other layers added in that made it, you know, I mean, I, I was moved several times during the book because I just thought, and I think part of that was also hearing the way that the narrators interpreted the words of the authors, that that may also made it have even more mm-hmm. of this feeling in it. Uh, because I felt, particularly the person who was the voice of Tom, he just had all this, all these layers to his voice and just put so much feeling when he read some of the more heart-wrenching mm. parts that it just really spoke to me. So I really loved it. I loved the cover. I <laughs> thought it was not too sentimental at all. I just, that was, the I really is, liked it. I didn't even think about the cover. I usually am very aware of covers. I didn't even think about it because I knew I had to read it. So I think often I weigh covers because I'm de- I'm deciding which one to right. pick up next. Yes. And when you said that, Jen, I thought, what is the cover? And yeah, and it, it's pretty so sentimental. Pretty. It is very pretty, but it's it, lovely. It, for me, that calls uh-huh. forth a certain type of book that I'm not always crazy about. Mm-hmm. And so it's very pretty. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I, it has bad associations. Note for the record that I love the cover. <laughs> <laughs> so I really liked it. I thought it was first. But uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting yelled at for my mic, my <laughs> nearness to the mic, or not, well, to being too far from the mic. Anyway, I really liked it. It. I thought it was very good, and I just thought that the that it had a lot more depth than I was mm-hmm. than than a normal holiday read. So I really liked it, and I loved Evie. I thought she was yes. a great character, and I don't know. I just felt really tied to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think she's a great character, mm-hmm. and I loved. Well, sorry, I'll wait. Sarah has questions, so I will wait. I do have questions. The first question. No, I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. What did you all think about the the format? Did you think it was effective or ineffective, or did it really not mm-hmm. matter? I mean, again, I really like epistolary novels. I, there were a couple of places where I thought, okay, they have to make this overly direct because it's in an epistolary novel. But I think it requires a great deal of craft on the part of the authors mm-hmm. to tell the story without being like, here is a paragraph of exposition that will explain exactly what happened between your letter and my letter. And so I thought, I, I just think I really admire the craft it takes to tell a story that way. Mm-hmm. And I think because their relationship developed through that and they weren't seeing each other, 
it, it lent that sense of authenticity that this is the way their relationship was developing. So to watch their friendship grow and for them to realize that it was something more. And it also includes letters, not just between Evie and Tom, but between Evie and her friend mm -hmm. and Tom. And so I thought seeing those side letters to enrich the central narrative, I, I really liked it. And I have to say, but again, I, I tend to like those and think about the writer's process. Like, mm -hmm. how, I don't know. I, do they outline it first and then they just kind of have to fill it out? Or is it, there? there's an article that Sarah shared that, they were writing the letters back and forth to each other. So was it just very organic that they were always reacting to what the previous person had written? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's really cool. Anyway, and I, I thought like I thought the interludes with, from 1968 mm -hmm. where Tom is basically preparing for his death. Mm -hmm. And I thought that those were effective in filling out some of the things mm -hmm. that, yeah. that I was missing in the letters at times. So I thought that was effective as well. Mm -hmm. But actually, you don't like epistolary. So. I don't. I mean, I felt when I when I started reading it, I thought, oh, I'm not sure this is something that I like. I also don't know how many of them I've read, mm -hmm. and I think that, like you said, Sarah. I mean, I did appreciate the framing of mm -hmm. that. I knew the time period. I knew that he was going back to Paris. I mean, I I liked that. There were times where when he was like getting to the next bundle and reading mm -hmm. the next. <laughs> that I was like oh yeah okay um <laughs> which sadly is kind of my attitude in real life too um but I mean I do I do think there's a real I think they they lend themselves toward romance and mm -hmm. honestly my life partner and I wrote letters quite a bit when we mm -hmm. were in school and living in different places and I mean and I loved that and I wrote a lot of letters growing up so I think mm -hmm. that it's interesting that I'm not more interested in that as a convention in writing mm -hmm. because I, it is something that I very much in an authentic way had as a big part of my mm -hmm. life and still really appreciate. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I do think they're a great way to get to know people and I do think you learn to know people in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so I think all of that felt very genuine and I especially loved the relationship between Alice and Evie and mm -hmm. I loved that in the letters because I felt like it was fun to see how Evie still trusted Alice for advice, but of course their, you know, their relationship is quite different when they're in different places. Mm -hmm. But I, I mean, I thought all of that was really mm -hmm. sweet and fun and helped Evie to come, you know, come around to understanding some things about herself that she seemed not able to see otherwise. So, I mean, yeah, I, I think yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel a Pinterest post coming on, like other epistolary <laughs> novels you may enjoy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I, I love this... The Color Purple and I love Dangerous yeah, Liaisons. And yeah. I th this, I think, is the first totally epistolary novel that I've read. I don't think I've ever read one that was all letters mm -hmm. like this one. I mean, except for the interludes. But I mean, it was largely yeah. told in, mm -hmm. in letters. So I think it's the first one I've read like that. And I do agree with what you said, Jen, about the craft of it and mm -hmm. how and thinking it. I mean, it does require a lot of the authors. And I loved the particular, I thought that was particularly apparent in the parts where they had been together. Yeah. Because then in a normal 
story that's not epistolary, that would be the dominant narrative right. is the time together. And in this, that was the second, mm-hmm. you know, the backdrop. And mm-hmm. I, and I liked that. I mean, I thought that that absence of what would be kind of the main scenes mm-hmm. was really enriching. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then the one letter that went astray Oh, yes. and that, yeah. And, uh, you know, throughout it's a device. But it's an effective device. Mm-hmm. And I think the ambiguity is believable mm-hmm. that she wouldn't know whether he just didn't yeah. get it or just didn't answer. Mm-hmm. I think that part, yeah, felt believable. I had that thought a lot because I am very much attached to knowing where the people I love are at all times. And so, I, yeah, I just think about during war when you have – there's a time when he just is not writing letters back to Evie and she is in a panic. And I just think, yeah – just of course that's realistic just how horrible it would be the absolute not knowing and not having any way to know where he is even to check up on him that really got through to me did you think for me i haven't read a lot of books set in world war Mm one like most Mm -hmm. of the books that i've read are world war Mm two did you think that this was a good I mean, did you did you feel like the setting was unique, and did you think that it was different than World War II novels that you read, or did it seem similar, mm-hmm. the setting? I mean, I think war, war books always have some things in common. I do think because the topic of World War II books so often deals with the Holocaust mm-hmm. and honestly it could stop there but I feel like there are certain tropes that I'm used to in World War II books and so the few World War book one books I've read it just feels like a different angle on it and acknowledging a different type of suffering and mm-hmm. so I thought the parts mm-hmm. where we saw what was happening in London but also on the front at the front I think that's where you see those differences. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought it was effective, especially, again, because you don't have that description mm-hmm. that you so often have in a in a more traditional novel or in a non-epistolary novel. You don't have those straightforward setting descriptions, and so that so much of it is coming through inference. Mm-hmm. I think, again, I think they did a really great job portraying a lot about the time. I think that one thing that stood out to me about the setting was that it played – okay, so – First of all, I need to admit that I have very superficial knowledge of World War One, And so I think a lot of what I'm thinking about is stuff that I learned a long time ago and not very deeply. But I think that in Tom's letters, he spoke to a lot of the things that resonated from what I remember about studying World War One. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the armistice during the, the during on Christmas Day where they were mm-hmm. together, that part the thing about um you know the boots and their socks mm-hmm. and all of the that 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 was running rampant in the trenches for them the close proximity to the other side mm-hmm. and all of the kind of trench warfare that all just stood out to me as being different in mm-hmm. some ways from what I have read about World War Two and think about with World War II and then like you said Jen I think a lot of times the World War Two books focus on particular parts of the mm-hmm. war that were catastrophic and horrendous and you know the, the genocide of the population and so because of that I think that this one was more of speaking to mm-hmm. the larger parts of war and I mean what I really also appreciated was the part of how excited he was to go and how mm-hmm. excited Will was to go and how they really wanted to contribute I think that that 
happens in other wars as well, but I think that because there had never been a war like World War One, that that felt very genuine to mm-hmm. me, that mm-hmm. people would have felt that way yeah. in a way that in the future they don't, at least as, as blindly, I think, mm-hmm. as naively, and about the conscription and, like, you know, that that was coming but hadn't come yet. I mean, yeah. I think all of that I, I found really interesting and just the way that people who didn't go were judged even mm-hmm. by them mm-hmm. um how they acted about john hopper is it hopper? Yeah, hopper. um you know the, the, how they acted about him for staying back and what that meant and how all of them even though they knew what was happening was horrendous and nobody should go through it also were really judgmental of anyone who wasn't willing mm-hmm. to help the cause and so you know i think yeah i thought all of that stuff just felt complicated and also genuine to how those mm-hmm. kinds of situations happen where people feel this profound pressure to contribute. Yeah. And, and, oh, go no, ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it always makes me think of this random historical fact that when they would start the battles, they would have a ball that they kicked across because it was that innocent view of it as this competition that they connected to the world of sports. And so I was thinking about the movie Legends of the Fall. There's a, a really powerful scene where you see that and just the shift from that innocent viewpoint to the truth of what war is. Anyway, sorry, Sarah. I oh, didn't no. want to catch you off. Speaking of contributing, uh, Evie really mm-hmm. had this desire to be more than, than what was expected of her. Mm-hmm. You know, she was expected... I just kept thinking about when jo- when John had, you know, proposed and he said that she could meet up with her girlfriends and go shopping. And the fact that he didn't know her at all and yeah. the fact that she constantly was looking for a way to be more than what people were trying to pigeonhole her, mm-hmm. pigeonhole her into being. I just thought that was really interesting. And I thought that she was such a, such a complicated and mm-hmm. well-wound, real- <laughs> I am struggling with the words today. <laughs> Well-rounded character. What did you all think of her? I mean, I loved that with Tom where he, I appreciated how even when he spoke harshly to her mm-hmm. about her desire to go, that even in the face of his admonishment, knowing what we know about how she felt toward him, that it spoke to how strong-willed she was and mm-hmm. how determined she was to make a difference and to do what she believed was right for herself, even if everyone else stood against it. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really powerful. I mean, yeah, I've, I think she's a great character. And I just way. loved her column that, that she yes. yeah. did the column. Those were and, awesome. Yeah. Those articles were really great. And I mean, I think the attitudes that people had about her mm-hmm. as a journalist and her, you know, I mean, I thought all of that again, spoke to the time, but also to, the need for people like Evie to bring about change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really loved her character as well. And I thought it was interesting that the thing about her columns that really caused a problem was not the fact that she was a woman, but the fact that she was telling the truth mm-hmm. and that you would have seen that with men as well. And so, yeah, I just thought that was realistic because people don't love feminists. People didn't love women doing these things. And, she got the bad mail for that, but also that she had people supporting her that she could continue doing that. Mm-hmm. It was something else that caused the bigger problem. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Evie's relationship with Tom a little bit, because I mean, that is kind of the, the glue in the story. Mm-hmm. And 
you know how I am about a love story. So I was, I was in it the whole way. And I just thought it was really beautiful how they've created a friendship that evolved into something else. And then how they, I mean, at the end, they kind of realized that maybe it had always been each other, but, but at the beginning, I felt like, like the authors did a really good job of making the the friendship seem platonic Mm -hmm. and that they were just supporting each other. And I thought I really liked seeing how that grew. Mm -hmm. And I think because Will and Tom were such good friends Mm -hmm. and that that was sort of the lens through which they viewed each other. Mm -hmm. I thought that made that very believable because Mm -hmm. I think they knew each other well enough to want to write to each other. But they definitely had a long way to go before they truly knew each other and truly understood who the other was. And I thought their shared grief over Will's death mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, was, was further something that could connect them, that they could grieve together. But yeah, also really heartbreaking. That, mm-hmm. was, that was really sad. Yeah. Yeah. There were times that this will come as a surprise <laughs> to no one. There were times that I was like, of course you love him. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you love him. Yep. I don't know that you need to consult with other people because definitively you love the man. And he loves you back. Right. And so, and so there are times, and I always feel that way, you know. Yeah. I often feel that way with romance books because, honestly, it feels that way from the outside. But I also know when you live in your own body that mm-hmm. that isn't always. Things aren't as straightforward as they feel yeah. to the outside mm-hmm. world. I think that's and true of for relationships, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. Like, I, I think that, you know, things are much more complex than mm-hmm. they seem to the people who are watching it from the outside. And certainly in this situation where we're reading their letters to each other and can know of how much they adore each other mm-hmm. and how it's readily apparent to us. So, you know, there were times I was like, get on with it. Yes. <laughs> um, but then I think what I was surprised by and really appreciated was all that came out with the engagement and how he had, you know, in a lot of ways she had held that back and then how mm-hmm. upset he was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think all of that was really powerful because I think in some ways it did make it seem that it is as if it was not until he was confronted with that, that he realized mm-hmm. how he felt. Mm-hmm. And I think that being in the letter form that added even more, yeah. more, you know, yeah. uh, suspense because you know that it's not this instant thing. Like he's sending this letter right. and then you don't know what's going to happen right. between the time that he sends a letter and the time that she receives it and sends it back and all of that. So I found that to be pretty suspenseful, Mm -hmm. even though I knew they were going to eventually end up together. In my mind, I was like, oh, my gosh, maybe one of them meets someone else and they get married. And then they get together later in life. But I want them Uh together right now. So like, there were all these things that were running through my mind when he sent the kind of the scathing, the scathing, Mm -hmm. I almost said email. It wasn't an email. (laughs) The scathing letter. And uh, she, you know, and then they were, you know, corresponding about the engagement. Mm -hmm. Which I didn't like John Hopper. John Mm -hmm. Hopper. Yeah, he was really horrible. When he became a lot more wretched as things went along. And so that helped me empathize a little more with her because it was hard for me again. (laughs) It's hard for me to be like... This guy is obviously not great, Mm -hmm. and it's hard for me to think that you so badly need male company that you are willing to entertain this. But, of course, that was Mm -hmm. the time period and the traditional roles of women, and there was an expectation that she would do that. And, her, of course, it's appealing to her to have somebody who's interested in her. And I understood all that, but it was also hard to think that she was entertaining this idea about Mm -hmm. him 
when clearly she left Tom. Right. Yeah. And so that was kind of hard for me to imagine, but I did know, you know, I mean, I understood why yeah. mm-hmm. those things were happening, but it was kind of hard for me to believe at times. That well, was, oh, go ahead. I, well, I was just going to say, and I think, you know, from the beginning, you're, we as readers are kind of tainted by John's, by yeah. Tom's right. view of John. But in the beginning, I like you, Ashley, I didn't think he was that bad, but mm-hmm. just more, you know, he was chauvinistic and he, uh, and you know, he, but he was fulfilling a traditional gender role. Yeah. But then once she was off in France doing her thing for, on the, with, for the, um, the war and he sent her that note about Ooh. the shopping and all that, mm-hmm. I was like, um, I think you need to step back, buddy, you yeah, know, yeah. cause it was just, I mean, he knew her. He didn't care to know her at all. Right. right. As opposed to Tom, who I, I really appreciated when Alice kind of intervened with that one. And she was like, he just doesn't want you to get hurt. Yeah. And he cares. You know, he wants to protect you. And she's like, I want to protect you. Don't you want to protect your mm-hmm. friends? Mm-hmm. And so that to me, you know, it's two yeah. very different angles. So right. even though they had a similar attitude at first, it's a it's two different reasons for that Mm -hmm. i have to say i was a little frustrated with alice earlier though when she was not wholeheartedly supporting (laughs) evie waiting for tom and you know she was encouraging her to maybe maybe you just need to move on and i was like no she doesn't why why are you saying that i did have a thought because there are parts early in the book where the she is not given a name and Mm -hmm. i did think Maybe it's not Evie. Maybe there's a twist. Maybe it's Alice. I had that thought once. And then I was like, quickly, meh, probably not. But you did too. Yes. That makes me feel better. (laughs) Well, because because it was kind of laid out at the beginning, I said, in my mind, I'm like, maybe they're leading us to think it's this one thing and now it's another. Mm -hmm. But I was very happy it wasn't. I would have been devastated. I was really, yeah. And it would have seemed very inauthentic, I think, too. Mm -hmm. It would have felt more like a plot device than like this... Right. Unfurling of a story. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Good word. <laughs> Unfurling. Yes. <That's> unfurled. <laughs> uh, so we talked a little bit on Evie's relationship with John. Mm-hmm. Um, did you all have anything else to say about that? <laughs> because nope. I mean, it, well, it, was a, it was a big part of the story to create like the conflict. But yeah. also I feel like it was a pretty... When he came out to be so terrible. Static mm-hmm. character. I was going to say, know. the running of the newspaper, that was another one where I kept trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and think, mm-hmm. well, maybe he does just want to make a good business of it. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? But then it quickly became apparent that his motivation was so skewed. Yeah, just so off what it should have been. Um, but, you know, he he did publish something that was the truth about the war mm-hmm. when the others didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I think he did it probably for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. But there was that part of me that thought, well, I mean, maybe, yeah. So I did go back and forth on him a little bit, a very little bit, but it was, I I had to try hard. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk a minute just about Will. And I mean, he died early on Mm -hmm. in the book, but we've come to learn that he has a daughter with the French um, nurse that he meets, Amandine, that he he knows about and he has left left a letter to his mother and she finds out about it but she doesn't tell anyone what do you think about will's mother carol's decision to conceal the truth about delphine his daughter i think given the time period (laughs) it's not as shock it's still shocking but it's not as shocking as it might otherwise be because she you know even with evie she wanted to protect evie and she wanted her to be seen as a proper girl who was doing the right thing and wasn't out 
delivering mail and on her bike. And so I think... I love that bike, that I Rusty, know, yes. her riding Rusty around. I just love TV. It was really great. So I do think it still stretched my disbelief a little bit. I wasn't totally... Because that's a pretty big thing to hide. Mm-hmm. But you think that she's in another country. You don't really know what happened. You're grieving your son. I think that's the one place where maybe we can give her the benefit of the doubt a little bit. I don't know. I had a hard time with that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's hard for me to believe when her son is dead that, that she wouldn't want to know the yeah. baby. Yeah. So then in that sense, it was hard for me to believe. But I mean, I agree, Jen, that, you know, it's possible that just for the time period and all of that, that she wasn't willing to, that if she'd seen the baby in person, that might be mm-hmm. a very different reaction. But to be able to just kind of look the other way. Yeah. I can see that. She's not my favorite. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So before we wrap up our discussion, I thought that the book did a really good job of kind of addressing Tom's uh, hospitalization for mental, mm-hmm. for mental stress, which we call today PTSD. Yeah. And I wondered what you, what your thoughts were on the treatment of that in the book. Yeah, it was a little a little funny when they were like, "Well, they go out and they play golf," and, yeah. and so the, and so you could see why other people would have been so dismissive if this mm-hmm. is something that that's the treatment. How serious can it be? But I thought the book did a really brilliant job of showing why it happened, showing Tom's guilt over the death of his colleagues showing how sensitive Evie was and that she sort of went in without a complete understanding, but that she quickly understood how serious it was. And then her column in response, Mm -hmm. I I thought all of that was very moving because I do think it's something so easy to misunderstand, especially when all of the focus is on bravery and on being a good soldier that they even allow these men to leave and seek treatment, I thought was a big deal. So yeah, I, that was one of my favorite parts of the book. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so well done. Yeah. I thought it was really rich and I appreciated how it was apparent that she did not know anything really about Mm -hmm. it. And I liked that because I think that, I mean, that was true then. And I think in a lot of ways it's true now. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, we're looking at a hundred years ago and still it is a profound problem that we have in our society to understand, to even begin to grapple with what it is like for people who come back from combat situations and then try to integrate into civilian Mm -hmm. life. And I really love the part with the loud noise and his reaction and how we didn't even know that again, that's the part where the epistolary style was effective because we didn't even know exactly what happened. We just saw his apologies for it. Mm -hmm. But I think that that spoke to his vulnerability and discomfort with Mm -hmm. his own situation, but also to understanding that that is what it is like. And yeah, so I mean, I, I, like Jen said, I, that was one of my favorite parts too. I thought that was really rich. And then I loved all the things with her column and with Mm -hmm. the feminist Mm -hmm. message of her, efforts to contribute and to stand on our own feet and all those mm-hmm. things like those parts I thought were really engaging. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add to that. <laughs> you all, all co- covered so you get two thumbs up for me. Uh, <laughs> Yay, friend. And I will say, I feel like we would be remiss to not just speak quickly about the ending. Mm-hmm. The ending reminded me a bit of the notebook. If you've uh-huh. ever watched, I've never read the book, but I've watched the movie Same. and something about it, it reminded me of that because they, he kind of 
I don't, well. I just want y'all to know that I have read the book, and I'm a little shocked that neither of you have. I've never read a Nicholas Sparks book. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I used to read all of this. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. Funny how things change. Yes. Isn't that funny? (laughs) Uh-huh. I know that's that's more, even more shocking that you've read all, you used to read all of those. Uh, but anyway, in the movie, that the endings were kind of were reminiscent of each other. Mm-hmm. I thought, but I thought it was a a good way to conclude the book. But I also thought it was it was a little predictable. You know, yes. like it was a little on the Tying, nose, tying I it guess. up with a bow. Yeah. yeah. But is that what like I, the one on the cover? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I did that for you, Jen. Thank you. The red ribbon on the bundles of the letters. You. How dare you? <laughs> well, we oh, have no. we have well, gotten down well, to the spikes and punts here. So. I'll tell you all a sweet, oh. sweet story though, really fast. Okay. So when my grandmother and grandfather were courting back then, they, they it would be a little bit after World War One. They wrote letters to each other that she saved for her entire life. And before she died, she made my mom, who was her daughter-in-law, promise that she would burn the letters because she didn't want anyone to read them, but she couldn't bear to do it herself because she loved my grandfather so much. So I just think about... Yeah, them and their relationship building through letters when I read this book. Oh, so there's sweet. a little sentimentality for me. But yeah, like the along cover. those lines. Yes, like the cover. <laughs> um, my grandfather, I was cleaning out my grandma's house with my dad this summer, and my grandfather had letters from the war mm. that he had written to my grandmother. And this was World War Two, And they had the censor stamps on them. Oh, and so wow. when they were speaking to this, you know, when they spoke about the censors, that was really interesting because that's the first, I mean, that's the first time in real life I had seen that, but mm-hmm. you know, exactly that's that funny. where they read yeah. the letters and, and then went through them and hmm. censored them. So it's really interesting. Well, there's two anecdotes for the end of this discussion. Thank you. Perhaps Thank a little you, random, ladies. but there you go. <laughs> Connections no, to real life. But it, but it was connected to the story. Uh, So that concludes our discussion of Last Christmas in Paris by Hazel Gaynor and Heather Mariah Webb. We hope that you will join us in discussing that on Instagram. We're going to now move on to our pairings for this novel. And Ashley, would you like to start? Sure. Um, I wanted to talk about, and I meant to ask you how to say this author's name. I've heard Ruta's. Cepetis, but I don't know if that's right. So Not from her. Ruta Cepetis's <laughs> Salt to the Sea. I know, I thought, I know exactly how to spell her name and then I yeah. realized I didn't know how to say it. But um, Ruta Cepetis's Salt to the Sea. So this is a novel, this is about World War II. And I, what I really loved about it is what Jen spoke to early on is that World War II books often have some similar tropes mm-hmm. and those tropes are excellent to explore but for people who read a lot sometimes they can feel a little bit tiresome or just hard to bring something new to light but this takes a very different angle and it's really focused on the end of the war and the refugees who are desperately trying to get out and so I think that was what was really powerful to me is that I've never read that part of World War II at all anything about so these were um, people are in East Prussia who were trying to flee and I just thought that it was totally fascinating to think about I mean again for all I know about World War II which I think is a lot more than I know about World War Mm One, as we discussed earlier that I had no idea about this whole historic event and the 
impact of that. And I just think, so it was just really powerful because it gets right in the heart of these refugees who are kind of thrown together. They don't know each other and they are in dire circumstances. And so it's their attempt to, you know, be on the move, keep going. And I just, I loved that. And I think that I thought it connected because I think that it is another one. It is not epistolary, so it's different in that regard, but it is a rich exploration of very different people who are brought together largely by war and the circumstances mm-hmm. surrounding war and what that does to them and to their sense of community and who they become. So again, that's Rita Septi's Salt to the Sea. Jen, what's yours? So I've gone through quite the list. I couldn't decide whether to focus on the war or the dual authors or the epistolary thing. But while we were talking, I thought randomly of a book that is set during World War One and and World War Two. And I read this one for one of my in real life book clubs. And I went in again with some skepticism because the war fatigue had already happened, the war book fatigue. But it is amazing. It's Kate Quinn's The Alice Network. And it alternates between the Alice Network, which really existed, and it was this female spy network during World War One of women who were recruited and who could cross the border in a lot of cases more easily than men. And the aftermath for one of the characters from World War One during World War Two. And it was suspenseful. I learned a lot. It taught me things about World War One, And I think because it bridges the two, you see the contrast between the two and the way that World War One informed World War Two. It has a great feminist message and a focus on women who want to do their part to help fight for their countries and for what they think is right, but who have to do it in a very different way from men. So I think they aren't really like Evie, but I see those same motivations that you see with Evie and her writing. So again, that is Kate Quinn's The Alice Network, and it is a great read. That one's on my shelf. I really I really want to read that. My pick is Anthony Doerr's All the Light We Cannot See. So this is another, it is a World, a World War II book, but it's set in the French occupation during um, World War II, and it's about a young girl, young blind girl, and then also a, a young Nazi soldier. And it's told in uh, alternating chapters. And for me, what it reminded me of with Last Christmas in Paris is, number one, it's beautifully written. I mean, mm-hmm. it won a Pulitzer, so <laughs> that's, not, that's not an outrageous statement. But it was real, like, I felt very connected to the characters. And it had this sweeping feel because you start, you get to know some of the characters when they're younger, but then by the end you're seeing some of the after effects and also them as adults. And so I think while it is vastly different than last Christmas in Paris, there are some similarities. Mm -hmm. And I do think that if you really enjoyed last Christmas in Paris, that all the light we cannot see would be a good choice to, to check out. That one is on my shelf and I very much want to read it. Mm -hmm. It's very good. And it's, and this is also a great audio book. It's long because the book is long, but the, um, the narration is great. And it's also nice because there are a lot of French words in there and Ashley, you probably, it would be fine for you, but I didn't have any French. Mm -hmm. So it was nice to be able to hear the correct pronunciation Mm -hmm. of the names and Mm -hmm. the different, the different French words that were thrown in to the, well, not thrown in, but put into the book, (laughs) (laughs) 
that mean it made it sound arbitrary. <laughs> that were put into the book for a very good reason. <laughs> but it was nice to hear the correct pronunciation. So I would recommend the audiobook as well. So what about classroom connections? I feel like probably we don't have a ton, so mm-hmm. but what do you all think? Or Ashley, what do you, what do you, you speak for the group? <laughs> yeah. yeah, y'all can just add on what you think. I mean, for sure, I would have this in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I think there are students who would love to read it, yeah. but I wouldn't use it either whole class or even in lit circles, mm-hmm. probably, unless I'm doing something focused on World War One or on epistolary novels. That might be a time to pull it in as a lit circle choice. But because, again, I mean, I think it stands up. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I think there are other choices that are more likely going to reach yeah. students, high school students. So, but I mean, you could certainly use excerpts from it. It would be nice to talk about the way that letters are used during wartime. It would be nice to talk about the history of, you know, again, what I said before about there are some historical, there's some historical commentary in there about World War One mm-hmm. that I think you could pull in pieces of what Tom says about being on the front or that kind mm-hmm. of thing that would be useful. So I think in isolated excerpts like that, that might be a good way to incorporate it in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think like the use of telegrams and then the yeah. one, yeah. because I went back through before, preparing for today's conversation and went back through and looked at the book because I had listened to the audio and just kind of went and flipped through and looked at some things. And the, and the thing that the audio book doesn't get across is the, like the way that the telegrams look. Mm. And then also when Will sends, when they send the like really shortened letters, basically just to say that they're okay and how they check them off and all that. I thought that was interesting. It would be an interesting thing to show students about how people communicate during wartime. So I do think there, that would be, but like, like you said, I think that it, there's limited ways that you could use it in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're about to wrap up, but of course we have to do Give Me One. And today we are talking about a, a band or musician that we recommend or that we think you should check out. Well, if you, if you are like, our personality. If you like our personalities, I feel very. I feel a lot of trepidation recommending music. I have to say yeah. because I don't listen to a ton of music. I was going to say I used to listen to music a lot more before I found podcasts and audiobooks. And now I hardly ever listen to music in the car unless my kids are with me. But so this was hard for me. I will say we do a lot of listening to the Hamilton soundtrack. But I will just stick with my '90s roots and say I still do love the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They are one of my favorites. And when those songs do come on XM radio, which is what I listen to, almost always the Alt Nation channel, uh, I think it's great. And so my boys my boys know that they are one of my favorites. So, Ashley? So I love music, but because of the frantic need to, <laughs> consume. to consume more books and other media. I rarely listen to it, which is a little sad, but we'll talk about that another time, maybe not on air. And in the meantime, I'll just say that one of my favorites lately to listen to has been the Chainsmokers. I put that on. So if I were to go on, you know, songs you've loved with Amazon music, I'm sure that that would be <laughs> at the top of the list. Mine is Maroon 5, and I've always loved Maroon 5 ever since the beginning. And then um, I got my husband, who mostly he, when I met him, he only listened to rap music. And he now loves the Maroon 5, and our children love Maroon 5. And I will tell a funny little anecdote. My So my daughter, we all listen to this song, Whiskey, which is one of their new mm-hmm. songs. But 
I mean, you know, the kids listen to it and they dance to it, but they don't really listen to the lyric and all that. So my daughter was at my mom's house and she asked my mom to play Wispy. And my mom was looking and looking and she could not find a song called Wispy. So then my husband had to inform her that it was, in fact, whiskey, not wispy. So, oh, that was funny. <laughs> but we, we like Maroon 5 at my house. Okay, we would like to thank you for listening today. And we, again, would love to hear any comments that you have on Last Christmas in Paris and what you thought about our thoughts. Just find us on Instagram. We will have posts running for our book club discussions. Check those out and respond, and we will respond back to you. We also want to remind you to keep keep watching our account for our giveaways. And then at the finale for our Dress Simber auction package, you will not be sorry if you stay tuned and look at all of that because it's a lot of great stuff. So thank you for listening today, and we hope your holiday season is off to a great start. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnderbridgePod or on the web at UnderbridgePod.com for a list of ways to support us. We'd like to thank Jared Featherstone, who composed our theme music, Strings of Light, and Katie Amy of Amy Photography, our podcast photographer. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.